later on today's episode. I really struggled to find the punishment, like actual documented punishment for slave traders that continue to import slaves after 1808. And again, there was 1.5 million slaves brought over. That's just an estimate. There's no way to really tell. That's just what they're guessing. I'm including a link that has a lot of cases that went up to the Supreme Court where a lot of these slave traders try to fight to have their slaves returned because basically the the government would take the slaves. They would take the quote-unquote cargo um, and they would confiscate the ships. Oftentimes, I, I won't say often, there's a long list of cases. I did not get the opportunity to review all of them, which is why I'm providing the link in case anybody wants to. But there were instances that, that I saw where the shape where the ships were returned. There was also instances where the government just sold the slaves, the quote unquote cargo. They didn't send them back home. They didn't set them free. They sold them. Hello, this is Patrice. Thank you for clicking on this episode. Here at the Melanated Intellects Podcast, we talk about everything from Black mental health and personal growth to Black world history. And my name is Shayla. Here you will find a balance between topics everyone is talking about and topics no one is talking about. Either way, we guarantee we will be bringing our distinct intellectual perspective. Hey, thank you so much for clicking on this episode. We are back with um, another one in regards to a documentary. Um, Last season, we did like a whole documentary month. Um, This time, I can't promise this is going to be a month, but anytime we run across a good resource, in our opinion, uh, for our history, we like to share it. That's That's why we focus on these. Um, this one, a lot of us, I feel like should have, or probably heard about it by now, but it came out earlier this year on Netflix called Descendant. And we're going to hop into that. Uh, Patrice and I watched the, um, documentary, but also in true melanated intellects fashion, did some additional research and want to connect some additional things that were not in the documentary. I feel like the documentary was a really good starting point to a story that I did not previously know. And I don't think Patrice previously knew about before Mm -hmm. watching it. Um, so it's a lot to, you know, dig into here. So we're going to get to it. Um, as always, our our links will be in the description, especially this one, because and Patrice will get to that a little later. There's some things that if you all really kind of want to check out and dig deeper into, we found. So we're just kind of putting it there for you to be able to view um, if you choose to. Patrice, anything that you want to say before we hop in? No, actually, yeah, let's just get on into it. Okay, so just in case you don't know, that's okay. Um, This is going to be about the international slave trade in the U.S. Uh, It was abolished in 1808. This is about a slave ship. And this is a unique slave ship, and I will go into why. And the documentary, I don't, I'm sorry, I'm going to ruin it. It's about them finding, they find, they do find the ship, okay? Mm -hmm. Um, So, though... Um, ownership and sale of human beings continued in um, the American South until 1865. 1808 is when 
it was supposedly by law, um, individuals were supposed to no longer bring enslaved individuals to the U.S. That becomes really important to the story here. Mm-hmm. So um, the the setting of the documentary takes place current day, July of 2018, and there's a community of descendants of these individuals who were illegally brought over on a ship called the Clotilda. It was about 110 Africans brought over in 1860. I'm pretty confident it was 1860, 1860-ish. Yep. Uh, yeah. mm-hmm. Okay. Um, Timothy Mayer was a white man who made a bet. I don't, I don't even think they even said who he made the bet with. But anyway, he made a bet that he could still bring Africans over and enslave them. And this is, you know, uh, 50-ish. 40 and some change-ish years after it's already been made illegal. Now, supposedly, if you were caught doing this, it was punishable by death. I don't mm-hmm. I don't know, right? But supposedly that's what it was. Um, so Captain William Foster was the captain that made this voyage. I believe he also built the ship, um, if memory serves me correct. And they set sail. Uh, and they grabbed 110 people in, I'm pretty confident, West Africa area Mm -hmm. and brought them back. And there, and then five years later, uh, slavery was emancipated, right? So these individuals who were brought over to uh, near Mobile, uh, Alabama, Plateau, that sort of area, established this town called Africatown. They were eventually able to purchase land there. I guess I can go as far as to say their leader or at least one of their leaders named Cujo. Um, mm-hmm. We'll get a little more into his story here in a moment. Was able to purchase land and they lived there. But I think it's important for us to understand. And, and there was a slightly different but kind of similar um, group of individuals that we talked about in the 100 years of Black history where they and I think those were the Gullah Islands but they were able to preserve a lot of African culture and history because they hadn't quite been through the same voyage as other enslaved people so in this Mm -hmm. particular case these individuals were lived a life freed longer than they did enslaved they were not born into slavery like many of the individuals already here in America and, mm-hmm. you know, they had they were a variety of different ages when they came over. Right. So you you lived your life. You you got captured, kidnapped, brought over here. You were enslaved for five years and then you were set free. So it's a different experience than mm-hmm. I think those who were born into slavery. And they, they kind of talk about that. Um, Patrice, anything you want to mention before I continue? Um, I, I think that when you're watching this documentary personally, I feel like the fact that they have, I can tell that it's evident. They knew individuals who remembered prior to becoming slaves in the U S. Even if you look at like how they dress, for example, um, some of the things that they carry, um, they believe heavily in ancestry and spiritual um, guidance And like, there's a moment where a woman who's carrying a cane, the cane is, it looks like something that was like almost hand engraved. um, And it has kind of a, if I was to think of a cane, 
made in Africa, I, this is a cane that would definitely come in my head. Put it that way, as far as the way that it's designed, the way the loophole, the handle is, and the curves in it, the grooves in it, how smooth it is, it's, it's beautiful. But um, I'm saying that because there's a point part where she's saying like um, the wood holds spirits and energy, and it's been passed down to her family. Things like that, you know, I feel like as African-Americans, we lean to like hoodoo practices or pass down family practices, which sometimes are kind of hoodoo related without, without us really knowing it. But when it comes to things like that, whereas for them, you know, it was, it was one, you could tell they knew where they came from, for one. Like they knew their ancestors, they had their own graveyard, they had their own businesses um, because they established this town. They had... Um, even though they had quote unquote American modern clothes, you know, one man had a cowboy hat, but there was African print around the rim. You know what I'm saying? Like they would have these, um, what looked like more of an African style beads around their wrists. The women will wear that, even though they were like wearing like a jumpsuit, for example, or what have you, or overalls, what have you. So it was just evident to me that just based off their style, like these, these folks was, they, they, a lot of them knew who they were, who they came from. And it's to Shayla's point, a very different experience, uh, just from observation. So that was really, um, interesting to kind of see. Yeah, it was very interesting. Um, so I want to hop into Cujo Lewis, who at the time um, that we, we as in Patrice and I, watched this and also at the time of the fil- filming, um, he was considered to be the last survivor of the Clotilda ship. And in 1928, Zora Neale Hurston, um, which hopefully you know that name, but I know a lot of folks listen internationally, but um, she was just a prominent Black figure in Black history um author she was kind of like a jack of all trades right like she was the first black female filmmaker yeah yeah Mm -hmm. um and she transcribed his memories Cujo's memories and she had video footage of him and she um put together really this project it was a book but she put together this project and it wasn't released because her um editors and publishing company wanted her to kind of like translate or change his language right because he 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 spoke with in dialect spoke like he, with dialect yeah. of mm-hmm. i'm sure a mixture of a few things right because you're talking about down south but then i'm sure his native language was not even english right so then mm-hmm. there was a combination here and she refused to do that and she was like no because that's what that's what makes it what it is you know what I mean get it figured Mm -hmm. out so anyway because of that his his story this project all of her information that she kind of had put together stayed in storage until like recently a couple years ago 2018 I believe yes mind you it was supposed to be published in in 1931 and it would stay locked up in the vault at Howard University because they refused to publish it until 2018 Mm -hmm. tragic tragic yeah um i also want to touch on just the community in general because they did talk about health complications of the people who live there a lot of them um a whole lot of them have cancer or have a family member that have had cancer and 
the land is currently surrounded by factories and um industrial factories specifically yeah industrial yep industries that um i'm sure is contributing to this um so they did touch on that um the there's a preacher and he was talking about like he sent out a survey to kind of survey people in the community and ask you know and everyone knew at least one person who had cancer some people could list two or three or four um individuals Mm -hmm. And there was also a man who was, I think it was the same man who was speaking about um, the burial rate because he was, you know, he was, they, he was head of their church there. And he was like, yeah, like we would have service after service after service. Um, so mm-hmm. from the same thing at that. Yeah, from the same thing. So mm-hmm. ironically, or maybe not so ironically, a lot of these um, industrial businesses are owned by the mayor family mayor as in timothy mayor right so Mm -hmm. um patrice anything you want to add to that before we move on yeah it was just like sad like um one of the um descendants of cujo uh, talks about how when she was a kid and in school you know um they would play in what looked like snow, you know, come out of the air and fall into the playground. And they were, you know, playing in that, you know, they didn't know, but it was actually from one of the industrial factories. And it was actually, I believe, who was it? International paper company or something like one of those paper companies. Um, But it was like, I think it was like ash or something like that. That was coming from the factory that was falling all over the playground. And she, of course, ended up being diagnosed with cancer she has survived but like that that is so terrible one of his descendants like we could have lost his lineage just that quickly over these industrial factories and the fact that they're surrounded by them and you know um it's hard to live there as a result of these conditions that's it's terrible yeah her name is um jocelyn davis yeah. Um, yeah, and she played, in my opinion, a big role sort of in the documentary and, you know, they asked her opinion um, a lot, but yeah, that's definitely unfortunate, but I understand, you know, they're holding on to that land and one um, woman, an older woman even said, we were told by our ancestors to hold on to the land because mm-hmm. they learned quickly that here in America, having land meant something. Um, even though, you know, it was for a short period of time, they had been here a relatively short period of time in comparison to other ancestral lineage. Um, they figured that out quickly. So, you know, um, okay. So the documentary goes on to, you know, kind of take you through the journey of them finding Clotilda because what's said to have happened is that Timothy Mayer brought these individuals back and when he came back he destroyed the evidence so he set the boat on fire and then denied claims that um he there were times where he said like he sold the boat and you know yada yada but no mm-hmm. one had ever found the boat until now current day 20 2018 2019 mm-hmm. current day so um they take you through the journey of them actually finding the boat which happens to actually be found near uh right in front of the mayor property um <laughs> so they talk a lot about 
and I don't have all the details, but please check out the full documentary to get all the details. But there's a historian that was kind of going through some um, messages from one mayor individual to another back, you know, some years ago, and they were kind of discussing it. And there's a lot of proof that Timothy Mayer and his family sent people in different directions than where it actually was, right? Like they would be like, Mm -hmm. oh, it must be up, you know, to this part of the river when really it wasn't, right? So, you know, they got divers and they found the boat. And I want to say, don't don't quote me on this, I want to make sure I get my words right, but it's essentially the most intact slave Mm. ship that we have now current day so they were able to find enough of it and put it together in this way where they created a um image a paint like a painting Mm -hmm. or digital image um they have that much of it where they're able to put together like what it looked like there's also evidence that it was attempted to be blown up in recent decades so within the last few decades, it was attempted to be blown up again. There is evidence that they found of that as well. Uh, Patrice, anything you want to add to that before I move on? You know, I was hoping you weren't going to ask me that because I don't want to oh, okay. say the wrong thing. But could you imagine? Could you imagine? Okay, us, African-Americans, we obviously have a lot of unanswered questions about our family line, our lineage, our, you know, the legacy past our greats and just up the river, people are actively blowing up the last proof or record of where you come from. You, could you imagine No, I couldn't imagine. And now you really have these two I don't want to say families because it's more than one family in Africa now, but you have these two sides of, Mm -hmm. you know, descendants, um, even though, you know, the film is about the descendants of Africa town, but really you have two descendants current day that are still maneuvering and dealing with decisions of the past on either side. Right. And Mm -hmm. so one man was like, um, he talked about how the mayor family is very quiet about you know what happened they definitely did not answer they were definitely not on film did not answer any questions you know whatever whatever they wouldn't and, respond to the netflix documentary at all there's no yeah, wouldn't like, respond. They, yeah yeah right yeah so um he was like i mean i guess if i knew <laughs> that my great great granddaddy did you know what i'm saying i guess i wouldn't respond either you know so i mean i i mean I don't know. I mean, I guess I don't expect, I guess I don't expect for them to be like, oh yeah, come on over. You know what I mean? So I guess they're doing what each, each group is doing what their ancestors told them to do. Yeah. There are roads named after this family. Like that is the lineage. Can you imagine like being so bold? You don't even move. Like (laughs) you don't even move. Like, you know, this is our property. Why, why well, are we going anywhere? After so many years of him sending people in different directions, I'm sure he got confident, right? You know, you no, because you got to blow it up. You ain't that confident. Well, someone current day tried to blow it up. It wasn't the original man. So well, obviously, it's not the yeah, original. He's dead. dead I'm saying, day. like, obviously, they're they're not that comfortable. You feel like you still need to get rid of evidence. 
Yeah, I just mean Timothy in and of itself. I think he he personally probably after so many years he got so old. He's like, they ain't gonna find it. I feel like he got probably like, oh yeah, up yonder on the west side. Like, I mean, Child. he just started throwing stuff out. My bad. It was it a cloudy day that day. We were foggy, man. We went the other way. <laughs> it blew it up wind. I don't know. I mean, like, you know what I'm saying? Like he was just making stuff up. I I mean, I don't know. Mm. anyway so it was really um a historical moment you know for them to find the ship and um you know they they showed a celebration um the mayor Mm -hmm. of mobile came out and they had um a celebration there now he is also a land he's a land owner um in the near area as well mm-hmm. so i do want to note that i believe it's a lumber yard but please don't quote me on that um so africa town heritage house museum was just open i believe fall of 2022 so it is there and available where you know we can go check it out i hope at the time of the filming it hadn't been open yet so i hope that the people of Africatown is benefiting from that in some way, monetarily. But a clear answer was not given in regards to that because it hadn't been developed, it hadn't been established yet at the right. time of the documentary. It was an idea at that time. time. Yeah. 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 Um, so. Oh, and- yeah. Oh, I forgot to mention that part. Also, um, not that we needed, not that we we needed this but um they there was some sort of preserved dna that can link the living descendants to the ship because that was one thing um that i did not mention africa town's descendants were told not to mention this from their ancestors right because you know speaking saying that a white man did something illegal in any day other than current day could have meant your life Right. So mm-hmm. as protection, they told them like, well, I mean, we talk about among us, but we're not going to go out, you know, outside of us and talk about it, uh, which I'm sure you can imagine, you know, the purpose and everything for that. So before finding the ship, some felt like, we, hey, we need this ship to like prove to like mm-hmm. have this representation of what we know already has happened based on what our people have told us so that's another big deal why finding the ship was important and then of course you know having the dna being able to link it it's no question hands down this is what happened right i'll go ahead patrice I'm I'm troubled by this. I am. And <laughs> audience work with me cuz if you haven't heard me tell story uh, us work on stories like this in the past, um it, it is not easy to kind of, you know, unpack these th- this history. It's really not easy. One I was a little annoyed with how uh, with the lack of media attention at finding the last cargo ship. I mean, it this happened in 2019. Why wasn't it on mm. CNN? Like, you know what I'm saying? I feel like it deserved mm. a bigger headline, especially at that time and everything that was going on. Mm. Um, I don't know. Maybe it happened right when the pandemic happened and it got lost. I, I don't know. I don't know. Um, but it is, it's just, um, 
it, it was interesting because we have this museum that's going to now, you know, um, preserve the memory of Africa town, you know, and everything that happened, the ship. And, uh, one of the members from the Washington DC African American heritage museum was present. I, I can't remember their name or their position, um, but, uh, she was offering like guidance as far as like how to go about moving forward to move into discussions around museum, like gathering all your stories and memorabilia. And, you know, we're, we're, we want to put this in a museum is how you go about telling your story. And some members were like, absolutely excited. I felt like the elders were excited, you know, like they were being heard and the elders needed that because it had been, I could imagine that some may even thought of it as a folktale, if you will, in terms of passing down a story without any proof. Um, this group of people, they're just here. They they know their story. You know, Cujo, Cujo told them their story, but that's all they have, and Cujo's no longer alive. So, you know, um, at some point, you know, it, you you worry about losing this history because a lot of it is from memory. And even in the beginning, the historian is talking about how like they're trying to document and videotape and get the stories of different members and of descendants that came off that ship for that exact reason. And they weren't even to catch everybody. Some of them, they had to go to their sons and their daughters because they had already passed on. So um, I think that that part is beautiful and with great intention. I, I noticed some of the other uh, members of Africa town were, you know, cautious about handing over something like this to the state or just in general to giving it away. For, you know, it's no longer in possession of Africa town. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, what does that mean? What does tourism mean? You know, um, in terms of respectability, preserving our culture, preserving our town. Um, where do, what does this mean in terms of growing our town? How does, the state makes sure we are funded for this memorabilia to grow our town. And how does this impact these industrial warehouses that are surrounding our town where there's political ties involved? You know, um, I think me and Shayla, we, when we last looked up some of the political impacts that was happening around Mobile, Alabama, um, th- there was like controversy because this mayor, um, Sandy, Simpson, Simpson. There we go. There we go. There, there is Mayor Simpson. Um, you know, he is one to divide the different, um, and I'm terrible at explaining politics. I just understand it. I can't explain that. Well, so y'all just, I apologize if you're international, this is how in depth our system can be when it comes to voting. Um, but he's wanting to divide territories. And essentially when you don't have when your territories get divided like that, you know, you have a, a, a member that represent each territory in terms of politics. So when you split up votes like that, you, you lose majority. So he's trying to basically divide mobile Alabama right down the middle through a lot of these predominantly black communities. So their collective vote is kind of diminished. They can't count as one, if you will. It's going to count towards territories where there are now going to be outnumbered if you divide this group up. I hope that's a good explanation. I feel like that was actually more better than I thought it was going to come out. Mm -hmm. But um, that is kind of one of the controversies that I believe it's either already passed or it's on the brink of passing. We just went through elections and I haven't revisited this um, 
that that article. But um, things like that, you know, how does that impact this museum? How does that impact the initiatives of what's going to happen to Africatown? So I, I could see some of the youth were just like, we want to hold on to what's ours and we want to preserve it. And we also want to build on it, you know, and it seemed like the elders were just happy that someone was finally listening. And while I believe both are really important, um, I definitely side with the, with the, um, I feel like the more younger ones, I feel like they have to raise their families and fight the system to hold on to their communities. Um, I, I, I was a little concerned about the museum idea myself, even though it's a great intent, I just kind of thought like, but there's no guarantee those funds will go back to you because museums are usually funded by the state. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Um, things like that. I hate that we have to think about that, but. That's, yeah, I yeah. mean, I do hope something was um, figured out. But again, um, you know, the documentary didn't say. Right. So hopefully we'll know more about that. But yeah, I mean, it, it was definitely a question being asked by. Yes. Uh, I remember the one woman specifically. Let me see if I got my. She was a real estate agent. Name. So she she knew oh, how yeah. property okay. worked. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I liked her. She was on the side eye everybody. Was, um, <laughs> her name was Vita. Yes. Yes. Uh huh. Yeah. yeah. Vita was real. You know, she was doing, you know, I, I understand Vita. Yeah, she had a great perspective. She was like, yeah, I appreciate your cameras, but, you know, uh, what are we going to do about this? You know, and I, I think for her, she, I felt, let me not speak for Vita, because Vita didn't say this. I felt like there was even some distrust with even the political presence, even at the celebration. You know, like, what are you really here for? And there was even a point where just the dynamics and just watching the documentary, the celebrations over here, the the politicians are over there in this corner, just kind of clapping. And, you know, you could tell it's kind of a showing your face, but, you know, are you in with the people discussing what this looks like for the future of this town? Like really talking about the future of it. So, yeah, I mean... I would think that it'd be hard to have a tourist attraction near industrial um, plants where people are catching cancer. Like you want your tourists to come through there and visit. You know what I'm saying? Like I would hope that with the tourism initiatives that we would clean up the area. If you obviously won't do it for the people, you this will create the monetary gain to preserve this community and make it healthier to live in and to visit. But again, child, let me not speak for other people. You know, I don't know. Um, Okay. So I did want to touch on a couple other resources. So one is a black past article. Um, It mirrored a lot of what the article mirrored, but it did mention a couple things that I wanted to touch base on. And it'll definitely be in our description, just in case you want to read the full article. One was it seemed to have very specific details about the ship, the length, what it was packed with as far as like um, food, water and things of that nature when it set sail. So it had a lot lot more details than I've seen in anywhere else I researched about that. So, Mm -hmm. you know, it was 68 feet long, et cetera, et cetera. Also, it was um, mentioned, now this is the first time I'd heard this mentioned, that on July 9th, 1860 is when the Clotilda entered Mississippi water. That's not new. But 
um, during nighttime, they kind of transitioned the individuals from the Clotilda to another ship called the Tsar, according to Black Pass. Now, I had I didn't see that anywhere else. So um, I'm curious to know like where that ship is. Um, and then it also, just in general with the story, it does speak about how not everyone stayed there. So they were split up and sent to other places. A lot of families stayed there, which would later become, you know, Africa town, but not all families. And I'm yeah. going to get into a story of someone in a moment here. Matilda McCree is her name. Patrice, anything you want to talk about in regards to what I said about Black Pass before I move on to Matilda? No, go ahead. Okay. So the reason why Matilda becomes important, remember earlier in this episode when I talked about how Cujo was at the time known to be the last survivor. So after, I'm going to assume after the documentary and definitely, you know, after I saw the documentary, I came across Matilda. I believe her last name is pronounced McCree, but please don't quote me on that. She died in 1940 and she was two years old when she was brought over on the Clotilda and she actually went elsewhere. So she was not in Africa town. She did not stay. So she was sold her, um, her mother and her sisters were Mm. taken from Africa. So I do want to touch on that because this history.com article, if you want to check out the full article, it talks about how she lived through Civil War, Jim Crow, World War One, Great Depression, World War Two. I was like, dang, girl, I, I feel you, girl, Matilda. Um, honestly, it made me feel like current day. I feel like we're, if you live current day, I feel like you're living through a lot of major things in history. Not at all com- trying to compare Jim Crow to COVID or anything like that, but just when they look back at history, Mm-hmm. the things we currently have lived through will be history. Like it will be like, yeah. you know, my, my little godson who's four one day might have me come into the classroom and answer some questions. I don't know. Um, moving on. Um, she had facial scars that suggested she was um, from West Africa. Please don't be mad at me, Nigeria or any other place of West Africa for pronounces wrong, but I've heard it pronounced before. So I'm pretty confident in my pronunciation. Yoruba people Mm -hmm. is where they believe she was from um so her mother and sisters were captured with her now she was able to stay with one sister and her mother the two oldest sisters were sold to never be seen again so um they stayed together partially when the civil war ended five years later you know she's still young at this point that would have made her seven Cujo was known to be the last buyer for a long time until we kind of know her story. Now she passed at 82 years old and it says she had a big family and had survived by, I assume a lot of children and grandchildren. So that's good to know. Um, I wonder if after this information was found, if any connection, like if, if her descendants were able to connect at all with Cujo's descendants. I would be curious to know that. I didn't find that information, but I think that would be cool if they did. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, now her children, her children, this gets interesting. So she had her first child at 14 by a white man. It's assumed that that was rape. And, um, after her mother's death in 1879, she moved and she met a man named, I believe his name is Jacob Schuler. Now he's um, a white German immigrant 
if you heard our is being black and Nazi, um, excuse me, if you heard our is not black history month being black in Nazi Germany, then, you know, we talked about a couple there who, um, was a black woman and a German soldier who mm-hmm. fell in love, had a family. So this story is quite similar in the sense that she met this man and they were get together for 17 years. She moved and met a new man, not not the original white man who presumably raped her, a new man. And they were together for 17 years. And out of those 17 years, they had seven children. So she had a total of 10. She had three before she met him. Then she had seven with Jacob. He never got married. She never got married. They had to live in different homes. But word is he knew his children. You know, I had a relationship with his children. Um, I also know something else interesting about Miss Matilda is that she requested compensation for being kidnapped. Yeah. Go, she girl. Requested, she requested reparations for being kidnapped and brought over here as a toddler. She proved she was from Africa with the marks on her cheeks. She was denied um, the same way Timothy Mayer had denied. There's a conversation within the documentary where Cujo is having this conversation with Timothy Mayer and he's asking him for reparations and things like that. And Timothy says, no, you know, you, yeah, just land too at that. Not money, land. Yeah. Well, I guess that was money back then, but still. But yeah. So, um, yeah, she, she tried to, they also spoke about her, um, mother and stepmother excuse me mother and stepfather she had to like translate for them right because they didn't speak a lot of English so you know she really was someone who I guess similar to the individuals in Africatown I think that's important to point out because I want to keep making reference to the fact that like they were freed longer than they were enslaved so yeah there was disconnection I think what was underlying is that there was a disconnection between even the mindset like to be honest I don't know that I'm not saying there weren't any but I don't know that there were a lot of individuals who were already enslaved born into slavery many of you know ancestral decades and who was asking who was asking for land or reparations yeah. Like that sounds to me very much so like if they me? did they were probably already free. They they if they were asking for freedom then they were like, "Oh, probably like that's how I oh, would yes, imagine correct. it." Yeah, yes, already yeah. free. Yes, I agree. Mm-hmm. Yes, yes, already yeah. free. So I was just like, "Wow, like, you know, I, I love the mind. To me it just speaks to both Cujo and Matilda's mindset of like, oh, I'm new to this. I don't know what you got going on over here, but you didn't took me from, you know what I mean? Like you didn't took me from where I was at. You didn't brought me over here. I was enslaved for five years. I remember where I'm from. I remember my people. I remember I'm, I'm different from maybe the other enslaved individuals that you've been dealing with. I'm going to ask you for some land and I'm going to mm-hmm. ask you for some reparation. Like I'm going to do these things. So to me, I guess it just, it really highlights that I think, I feel like they thought differently. I don't know that to be true, but it just feels to me like they thought differently. And I understand, I understand why. Um, yeah. Know, this, my take on it. this is one thing that I wish the documentary covered more because Cujo was like in his twenties when he came to the U S that's a lot of memory. He had fell in love. He was a soldier um, in Africa. He like, 
he was trained, you know what I'm saying? Like he had this whole, it, it's not like, you know, granted, of course, like two years old, like that is obviously still an experience, you know, and I'm sure, you know, that is, has, that's his own. He like was an adult. Could you imagine as an adult going from what you know to something totally, totally different and being demeaned, you go from being a soldier and training and under a king and then out of nowhere, you're a slave, you know? that's wild. Um, I, I, I was kind of, I wanted to learn more about him, which I guess I'll have to read more into the book. I did end up buying the purchasing Barracoon, the book for those who don't know. Um, Barracoon is actually the, um, prison that Cujo was held in when he was in Africa for three weeks after being captured as a, um, as a prisoner. Um, but, uh, it's like, that is such a perspective. Like, could you, like your twenties, you don't fall in love. Like you have relationships with your parents. Well, and then I guess up until 808, that could have been the story of a lot. I won't say all, you know, because many were born into slavery, but a lot of yeah. Africans were brought over, you know, even in, you know, eight, That's early true, 1800s, they yeah. could have, you know, easily been adults or children, I guess either one. But yeah. I think it what makes it so interesting for this group of individuals, like slavery ended though, like five years after, which is yeah, they were right at the cusp. That's very true. You know, short period of time in comparison That's very to true. how long others may have been enslaved. But yeah, I mean, I guess that's very true. Yeah, I guess that could have been the reality of more people than we know or are aware of. But you know, it and I guess this kind of goes into some of the extra articles that we will create. You know, I wanted to know a lot more about, you know, the experience of slaves who um, were brought in after post uh, 1808, you know, so after the um, slave trade or after what is the exact verbiage? I, let me, let me see. Let me see. The transportation, the importation of slaves as cargo after that was prohibited. Um, there was an act that was passed, a specific act for those who are curious, the act prohib- prohibiting the importation of slaves in exactly 1808. Now, there's levels to this that people don't really, I feel like isn't really highlighted often. You know, in 1808, it was signed that you can't bring them in. However, it was more focused on domestic the jurisdiction of what that looked like, it didn't align with like coastwise, um, for example. So that allowed a lot of opportunity for these um, trades trades to discontinue. You know, these importations that, although they were illegal, so about 1.5 million is expected or estimated to have been brought in even post 1808 for this reason, because I don't think it was. I think it was like until like 18. 46, I want to say, when they finally were able to extend the, the jurisdiction to um, actually Africa coast because they technically didn't have jurisdiction on what happened out there in the sea and yeah, so on and so forth. I guess there were different technicalities to all of that. And, you know, these slave traders were finding loopholes, essentially. But um, still illegal, but I don't want to interrupt with Matilda's piece, but I thought that was very interesting. 1.5 million still continue to be traded even after they signed that act. 
Yeah, no, that was pretty much it for Matilda, if you had anything to add. I just thought it was interesting that she ended up being with a German immigrant after we were just speaking um, a few episodes ago. Well, I guess it's been three or four episodes now um, about um, that couple who had had a similar kind of storyline, if you will. Yeah, no, and it is. I I think that... um... Now, did you say she passed away in 1940? Mm-hmm. Okay, so she lived longer than Cujo, too. She, Correct. Because he passed in, like, 1935, right? I think so, 1930-something. Yeah. Um, Somewhere so, there. Yeah, yeah, so her story was discovered after, I'm going to assume, after the making of the documentary. And definitely, you know, I came across it after I had already saw the documentary. So in the right. documentary, they will refer to Cujo as the last known survivor. And now mm-hmm. there's evidence that she was the last known survivor. There could be more. I mean, I don't there's even know. There's probably more. Yeah. There's Who probably knows? more. But I guess with her being two years of age, I get that mathematically, right? If she was two mm-hmm. when she was on the Clotilda, you know, I could see her being the oldest. And she passed when she was 82. So that, you know, I get that. That's crazy. Yeah, um, you know, I'm gonna do it. 1940 is like 20 years before our parents were born. Like, that is that is wild. Again, here we go. Y'all know the saying, it wasn't that long ago. Yeah, my grandmother was, um, my grandmother on my father's side would have been 10 in 1940, actually. So, um, wasn't that long ago. You're right. Yeah. It wasn't that long ago. You know, this, this woman and my grandmother walked earth at the same time for a good 10 years. Oh my gosh. My grandma too. She's 82, 83 right now. Yeah. mm -hmm. Yeah. So, um, so that's so crazy. That's so damn crazy. Not, not that long ago. I mean, and even Cujo, I mean, Zora Neale Hurston to be recording this in the 1920s and to still have this man. I mean, and in this video, he was, I mean, he was an older man, but he was, you know, wielding an axe and cutting up wood and walking just like, you know what I'm saying? Like he was Mm -hmm. not, you know, um, (laughs) did not look like he was struggling at all in in any of the- He didn't look his age at all, even despite what he'd gone through. He didn't look his age. Correct. Yeah. So, you know- uh, I think Zora Neale Hurston, when did she pass? Do you know? I think it was did in the 20s. The... No. no, that's not right. That's when Let's she was on tour getting the story. Yeah, that's way off. I'm going to look it up real quick. This is a Google search. So 60s, 1960s. Okay, yes, 1960s. Yes, okay, mm-hmm. that's what I was going to say. So she didn't pass to 1960s. So, you know, she spoke to this man personally. And in 1960, we all know somebody that was alive in 1960. That wasn't that yeah, long ago. Yeah, my parents. You know what yeah. I mean? Right. <laughs> yeah. Like, so, you know. Uh, so, yeah. I just. Yeah. Don't let the black and white photos fool you, friends. Don't let them fool you. It's yeah. a lot more recent than we think. Um, mm-hmm. You know, I feel like. Um, how can I say this? I feel like. When it comes to history like this, that is so within reach and brings a lot of, what's the word? I want to say constant. I want to say proof. I want to say evidence. Because we are the evidence. You know what I'm saying? Like, hi, hello. How did I get here? You know what I mean? But I, I feel like we are always dealing with the racism isn't real. 
the not everyone was a slave, the not everyone was a master. You know what I'm saying? We are always dealing with the argument that sometimes it by default puts us on the just before you say anything, look at this shit right here. Here are the facts right here. You cannot deny that before you say anything. Um, and I hate that for us. I really do. I mean, I hate it all for us, but <laughs> I mean, I hate that for us. Um, I, I love that we are putting names to faces and telling these stories and getting more into the grit of what that really means. I, I mean, just in my 30 years of living, we have come so far as it relates to understanding our history. We discovering slave ships out here now, you know, um, that used to be the number one reason why people would deny it was because slave ships didn't exist and, oh, where are the slave ships? There's no ships or documents, you know, all types of shit. You know, uh, here's one. So where, well, what's your next defense, buddy? What, 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 what do you got? You know, um, the, it's crazy. The, the effort that people go into to ignore the truth about our stories, but this group of people, you know, they have, they are descendants of members who not only remember the slave tension of the 1860s, but also remember prior, like being in Africa, being captured, being taken their lives before, you know, um, the way that I will say the way that slavery was done, you know, chattel slavery, you know, it grew so quickly. A lot of that was because of the forced production of it, of between slaves, you know, they had some plantations were literally set up just for breeding, you know, especially in like other countries like Haiti and also the, um, I want to say that's like the Southeast coast as well. Like there were literally breeding plantations that were set up just solely for making babies, you know? Um, and then you have survival of the fittest and all of those things that then take place at that. So, you know, we were literally treated like child. So uh, even though they, it's interesting to me because even though they cut off importation of slaves, they, they, they were able to, because at the rate that they were producing more and more slaves. Mm. And even then, the individuals that were caught, so again, this is going back to some of the details that I found while I was answering some of me and my curious Patrice questions, trying to understand like how many slave traders were actually caught, punished. And, you know, what did that look like for those slave, for, for those Africans that were captured? Did they get to go home? Were they stuck here? You know, were they set free? Did it matter where they were at? Like, how did we determine this decision? Because technically, Black folk ain't have no rights, period, no matter where you come from. So what does that look like for someone who was imported illegally? And... Honestly, I really struggled to find the punishment, like actual documented punishment for slave traders that continue to import slaves after 1808. And again, there was 1.5 million slaves brought over. That's just an estimate. There's no way to really tell. That's just what they're guessing. I'm including a link that has a lot of cases that went up to the Supreme Court where a lot of these slave traders try to fight to have their slaves returned because basically the the government would take the slaves 
They would take the quote unquote cargo um, and they would confiscate the ships. Oftentimes, I I won't say often, there's a long list of cases. I did not get the opportunity to review all of them, which is why I'm providing the link in case anybody wants to. But there were instances that I saw where where the ships were returned. There was also instances where the government just sold the slaves, the quote unquote cargo. They didn't send them back home. They didn't set them free. They sold them. And the money went towards the government, essentially. Um, These slave traders, there were some instances where they would fight with the Supreme Court, all the way up to the Supreme Court, to get their slaves back. Um, And uh, some of these documents, because of the timing, you know, some of them are, are provided, like, the actual documents of that time so they're handwritten they're cursive they're old you know the old documents that you see like the constitution paper is what i call it old school ass paper the print is faded you know so it's kind of hard to read and it's a, in a language that i'm not that very great at understanding so i'm not the best at trying to interpret these documents but i'm going to provide the links for those of you who are curious um essentially once the act of um importation of slaves was signed prohibiting this in 1808 this responsibility was shifted to the state um why can i ever remember this this title to the secretary of state sorry the secretary of state to then work on like dealing with the jurisdiction so going back to what i was saying as far as like extending the jurisdictions to the african coast because at first it was just about the u.s so then what slave traders would do is they would still pick up slaves and even if they couldn't bring them to the U.S., which they still kind of did but even if they couldn't they would take them to um, cuba or brazil for example so again if you remember our 100 years of black history South America received way more slaves than the U.S. did. I think the U.S. actually got like 15% of, from, of slaves from the slave trade. The majority of slaves ended up in South America. So this kind of explains why, um, you know, slave trades in the U.S. were able to go and capture slaves in Africa and then take them to Cuba and Brazil. And other foreign countries like um Great Britain and these other countries that had also outlawed outlawed the importation of slaves could not interfere because the U.S. said, if you see that U.S. flag, leave us alone. You cannot interfere with our people. So they were good to go. They were free to go. You know, they were able to continue to um, do this until they were, able, they were able to crack down much harder and extend that jurisdiction all the way to Africa, um, to the shores of Africa to prevent any captures of slaves. Now, again, who going to call George Washington and say, hey, your people still over here? I don't know. You know what I mean? I don't know if it was George Washington. I'm being dramatic. <laughs> but who going to I don't know who is going to be the one to, be, you know, tell them that it's still going on. Again, we're talking about pre-technology era. No one's posting it. This is a video of what's happening. Like we can see what's happening in Libya today. You know, it's not that type of world we're talking about. So it's a lot easier to go un- undetected, just like slavery was able to continue despite emancipation for so long in some states because of how long it took for word to travel. Then you deal with people who just don't give a fucking want to keep on doing it. So then you also have the simple fact that 
the country's still fucking racist. So, you know, although the government said no, those who are profiting at the state level, those who are supposed to be enforcing it, the the marshals, the sheriffs of these slave states, this is their this is what they were profiting off of. Do we really think that they were out here killing slave traders for continuing to do this shit on the DL? I'm not convinced. Mm -hmm. (laughs) I'm not convinced. So, um, it's a lot there. I'm going to include many links. It's honestly a rabbit hole. I'm going to be real with y'all. It's a rabbit hole. Um, Between Cujo's story, Matilda's story, to other questions that we may have about the post- slave trade, which then, um, you know, transitioning into neo-slavery, you know, and again, going back to Marshall's actually really being for the end of slavery. I'm going to provide another link that talks about neo-slavery, which is something I feel like we don't really spend a lot of time on, in which many African, African Americans at that point, you know, who were quote unquote free, you know, just for small petty crimes are now being locked up and taken in. And this is kind of the kickstart of what I consider mass incarceration as a replacement to create, to, to create free labor. So I have more articles on that, um, in return, in regards to what that transition looked like. But, um, it, again, this history is, is tough to digest, um, it's important that we tell the truth and tell our stories still. So everyone who's listening, I appreciate you listening. I definitely encourage you to take a look at the documents, do whatever homework you want to do. Grab the book Barracoon um, by Zora Neale Hurston. I think that's very insightful. At the beginning of the documentary, um, his descendant, um, you said her name was Jocelyn Davis, Jocelyn. right? Mm-hmm. She's reading the um the words of Cujo Lewis and I immediately hear my grandpa immediately, you know, um, just as far as how we spoke the dialect and all of that. And it makes me think about how, you know, our elders who have more of a dialect are growing older and passing on as well. And I don't know how much longer we're going to hear that. And for the first time I missed it because, you know, my grandpa, he recently passed. So hearing her read those words, I like instantly missed it. So, Moments, this is why I say we have to preserve our history um, to the best of our ability and tell their stories. Um, so that's all I've got. Shayla, which was, what's your thoughts on that? What's your reflections? You know, how are you feeling? Yeah, um, you know, I agree. I think it's important to continue to tell the story. I think for me, and I'm going to assume for a lot of others, we didn't know anything about. Uh, a lot of other African-Americans, we didn't know anything about the Clotilda, right? Because they were told, mm-hmm. these, these groups of families were told to keep this a secret. Right. So this is new history. And I love when, I mean, I love talking about and reviewing the history that we already know, but I really love overturning new history because Mm -hmm. then you are able to put things together in a way that I think just you haven't been able to do before. And, you know, of course I hope the descendants you know, reap financial benefit from the museum, but I would love to go check out the museum in person. I have not, um, because I think there's probably more information there. I don't know if they have actual, they put the ship together in some way. I don't know. I don't know what they have there, but I would love to, you know, check it out. And I just think it's, it's good information for us to know and to be aware of and, you know, 
This I want to see the ship. Yeah, yeah, I do. Yeah. I absolutely want to see the ship. Um, this is why we do this. We we talked. Mm-hmm. Man, this is taking it back in the day in season one with provoke the woke. <laughs> oh yeah but provoke the woke is where this all started when we started talking about um if you have not heard that episode go back it was a good it was a good episode but we talked about the term woke and why we don't identify with it but I think most importantly what came from that was this sort of promise from us to our listeners to make sure that we try to put resources in our history in front of you it's cool for us to talk about our history but if you've noticed we do I hope a really good job or we tried to be very intentional about putting the resources there for you to be able to do your own research with what we saw and even take it further if that's something that you're interested in doing we drop all throughout our seasons we drop books resources documentaries yeah. that we even the ones we actually cover and even the ones we reference even second or third degree um so i hope that the more we know about our history the more we can find ourselves as a people for one mm-hmm. but i think also too know what we're dealing with how can you know if, it, if, if you don't know right Um, so when I think about things like this, I'm very happy for the people of Africa town because they have what many African-Americans will never have, Mm. you know, answers, uh, and, um, stories from their ancestors and being able to hold on to a part of their culture in this way that just simply was quite frankly ripped from the majority of African-Americans in this country. And so anytime that can be reserved, I'm all about it. I don't care where, where, I mean, I can't get that, but I love that you can get that. So, um, yeah, I mean, you know, I'm just glad. I I hope that things like this continue. I don't know if more information will come out about this story or about the people, but if so, I'm down for it. If there's Mm -hmm. an update, we'll be sure to give you one. Yeah, absolutely. This is definitely a topic we're going to stay on top of and continue to monitor and make sure y'all are also caught up to speed. Um, Thank you so much for listening to this episode. Um, I know this isn't, again, this is not easy to listen to because, you know, it's, it's, this isn't like a storybook. This isn't like a true crime drama. This is our story, you know, um, as a people, you know, and it's, it's a wonder how many, uh, like 1.5 million people were continued to be traded after 1808. There's no telling how many people are out there, how many ships are out there just haven't been, all it took was them looking. The ship was right there in the man's front yard, right there, right? It's in water in the bay, but it's in the man's front yard. It's right there. Imagine how many folks just haven't looked because it wasn't priority. We're at a point where we have the most resources, the most access, the best proximity to our answers. So I do pray that as we get older, that more answers will come and more of us will become more and more. We'll get closer to understanding, you know, this lineage that we have and being able to pass down the story of who we are as well to our you know, descendants as well. So yeah, hug on yourselves, hug on your loved ones. Thank y'all again. Um, be sure to follow us at Melanated Intellects on Instagram. 
don't forget about our survey. We want to hear how you feel about our episodes and any feedback you may have or ideas or suggestions um, as far as what you want to hear our take on. Um, Anything else I'm forgetting, Shayla? Mm -mm, That's all. We will talk to you next time. Bye. Bye.